All right, and good morning, Ridge Point Church. Thank you for being here and joining us for this Easter Sunday morning. Uh, really cool. Obviously, I already talked about this a little bit, but today, uh, the cool thing is after church, maybe you're gathering together, family and friends, they can ask, hey, how was church this morning? You could say, it was awesome. We actually built a home. And everyone's like, wait, what do you mean? In, in an hour, you built a home? Well, no, not, not really, but together as a church, our goal today is to build a home. And the great thing is, that's not even the best thing happening this morning, because we have this great announcement as well, this announcement that Jesus is alive. And we have gathered together. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Come on. We have gathered together to celebrate this message collectively as a church in two separate services, but gathering together to celebrate this message. And so we're excited about the home. We're excited about the prospect of going down to Honduras and building that home. But even more powerful is the message that frees everybody. This message of Jesus today is alive. And so we're celebrating that this morning. We're going to get into the message just a little bit. But before we get there, I want to share a little bit of our journey here to, to Ridge Point Church. Uh, six years ago, we're getting ready to move to Polk County. And I had a good friend that was our former pastor, Tim Collins. And Tim told us before we moved, he said, JJ, you're going to love Polk County, but it's going to take you a little while to get acclimated because we do things a little bit differently here. And y'all recognize we do things a little bit differently here, right? <laughs> and he said, it's going to take you a while. And there are some things right away we kind of got into. And other things kind of like we waited in the shallow end and then had to jump into the deep end. And for me, I had one of those deep end moments a couple of months ago. I went to a monster truck race. Like there might be maybe nothing more Polk County than that. Uh, so, some friends had wanted to go, and so we made plans to go to, over to Raymond James Stadium to catch the big monster truck race. And here's how we roll in Central Florida. We cannot sell out a Bucks game for the last couple of years, but put a monster truck race in there and we'll fill it up twice. Like we have to have two different races there because so many people want to go. And I think part of the reason was because as I was heading back, the lineup of pickup trucks heading I-4, on I-4 East was, was huge. There was a, a deluge of, of pickup trucks heading back. And, and so I went there, and we had some friends who were with us, and, and we went up to our seats. We kind of watched it for a little bit, and then we came down to the pirate ship in the end zone. And when we were down there, you see kind of on eye level, you see how high the jumps are, and you can actually feel the power. And I started to get it a little bit. I started to understand the attraction a little bit more because you feel the power, you see the height of the jumps, and it was a cool experience. I enjoyed it, but there were some people there, I promise, they were overwhelmed by what was happening. Like, like they were just encaptured, everything it was so cool. They probably saved up their money all year long to be able to celebrate this. Like, that was their big deal, and they were overwhelmed by that. Well, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Overwhelming. And, and when I think a lot of times when we think about being overwhelmed... We tend to think of the negative side of being overwhelmed. If I talk or if you talk about life being overwhelming, for the most part, we start to think about the bad side of it. Uh, maybe we, we, our, our finances right now, we feel like our, our finances are overwhelming, or life in general is overwhelming, or this particular issue at my job has left me feeling very overwhelmed. And it's easy for us to see the bad side of being overwhelmed. But today, as we kind of make a turn in this series, we're going to talk about there's a good side of being overwhelmed, too. And, and there are a lot of definitions for the word overwhelming, but I want to look at one real quick. The definition that we want to look at, it says this, overwhelm is to overpower the thoughts, emotions, or senses of. I want us to remember that definition throughout the message because it's going to keep coming up. What are those things in our life that overpower our thoughts, overpower our emotions, and overpower our senses? When we realize that that's what overwhelming is, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. What are those things, positive or negative, that overpower our thoughts, the things that we think about? What are those things that overpower our emotions? And ultimately, what are those things that overpower our senses? Now, here's, 
here's my fear as we kind of begin this conversation. Is I know a lot of people who say, I don't have anything that overpowers my thoughts, that overpowers my emotions or my senses. I don't have anything in my life that I feel like it is overwhelming. And I think that's because we live in a culture where we have seen so much. We live in a culture where it's very easy. We have 24-hour news cycle. We're constantly bombarded with information. We, we see everything. You get on YouTube and you find the next great sensation. You get on Vine and people are sending different events and different things that are happening. And we see so much happen on a daily basis that when something really big happens, sometimes we kind of walk away and we say, eh, it wasn't really that big a deal. I've seen better. And we stop and I think consistently we are underwhelmed in our life. And I, I know a lot of people like this. It's kind of like we're going through the motions, and there's nothing in my life that I find that is truly overwhelming. And the problem with that is that if I consistently live a life that is underwhelming, then I'm not really living. You see, if I, if I live this life where I just kind of, I get by, and I've, I've seen things that are better, and so because of that, I'm going to play it cool, and someone shows me something really powerful, I'm like, oh, that's cool, but I've seen better. Or, or we see some event, you're like, oh, that was, that was a big deal, but it wasn't that big a deal. And we live these lives that are consistently underwhelmed, and we think things aren't a big deal and that things don't really matter. And if we consistently live underwhelmed, then we're not really living. You see, when we figure out what we're overwhelmed by, we figure out what is it that's overcoming my thoughts, what is it that's overcoming my emotions, what is it that's overcoming my senses, that's when I start to feel alive because it's then that I discover what my passion really is. And so if we're living life right now where we're consistently underwhelmed, we have to figure out a way to get that back on track because I believe the way we are wired is that there are some things in our life that are supposed to overwhelm us. There are some things in our life that are supposed to, in a positive way, bring about these ideas of our thoughts and our emotions and senses being overpowered. And, and, and as we start to get on track and say, okay, I don't want to be underwhelmed. I want to start to discover what it means in my life to be overwhelmed. Then the next question we have to face is, okay, what are the things then that I'm going to choose to be overwhelmed by? And that question is just as important. Because as much as I enjoyed it, if my big overwhelming thing is monster truck race, I'm missing out on something much more powerful. A while back, I, heard, uh, I read a book, and in the book it said, good is the enemy of great. And I think we could apply that in a lot of different areas. But if I start to talk about what are the things that are overwhelming in my life, we can be overwhelmed by some things that are really, really good. Maybe you have a job and you love your job, and it overpowers your thoughts, your emotions, and, and your senses. And, and some of you are like, no way, that's not my job at all. But, but if, if that's how we are, our job's a good thing. We want to enjoy our job and be passionate about our job. But if that is the overwhelming thing in my life, if that's the thing I'm most focused on, there's probably something better that's out there for me to over, be overwhelmed by. Maybe for other people, it's, it's, it's their family, or, or maybe it's a, a sports team. If you're a Kentucky fan, I apologize for that. <laughs> Michael, I, I took your joke. Michael actually couldn't t- tell a basketball joke because he wasn't tall enough. Someone told me that. Um, I stole that from somebody. I can't say who, but I stole that from somebody this morning already. Um, But we get overpowered, we get overwhelmed by sports teams and different things. Or maybe we have a hobby that we're really passionate about. Listen, I think hobbies are healthy. There are things that you should enjoy doing. I got a chance this week to go out fishing with some friends. We went out fishing, and like in one afternoon, we caught 12 snook, and I loved it. It was great. But if that was the thing, the one thing in my life that most consumed my thoughts, that most consumed my emotions, and most consumed my senses... 
It's good. It's really good. But are we exchanging and are we worshiping that which is good in place of that which is great? Today, we're here to celebrate the most seminal event, the most important event in our world's history. And I want us to see that because if I'm going to be overwhelmed by anything in my life, I want it to be the most important thing that ever happened. And my fear is that we sometimes we come to church and we, we sing some of the same songs. And, and some of the songs we're singing this morning, we sing throughout the year because this is the message, not just on Easter Sunday morning. It's the message every Sunday and it's the message every day. Jesus is still alive. And I want to be overwhelmed by that message, not just today because it's Easter, but because it's the most important thing that ever happened, the most important event that ever happened. And here's how important this message is. Here's how important this moment is. I believe this book right here, the Bible, is, is God's word. Now, for some of you, that might be a stretch. That's okay. We'll get to that in a second. But I believe this, this word, this is God's word given to us for a very specific reason. And I believe that it's, as it's God's word, it's trying to bring about the most important thing that ever happened in the world's history. And here's the deal. As we read through the Bible, we see the Bible's broken up into two Uh, Two covenants, two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is basically the history of the early, of of the Jewish people as they travel and and the history of of the nation of Israel and God's chosen people and and the journeys they go on. And and from the very beginning, from creation through the fall, through all that they went through and through the kings and through the prophecies and all the history that they have, everything in the Old Testament. As As I look through, and I got a big study Bible here, there's 1887 pages in my Bible they get us up to what we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> and everything prior to page 1888 in my Bible all points to page 1888. And the cool thing is everything after this points back to it. So as we talk about life, this message that he is alive, that he is risen, is the most important thing. But even as we break down the Bible, everything 1887 pages before leads us to this message that he is alive. I love Christmas. I'm all about Christmas as well and the birth of Jesus, and that's really important. But really, everything we see, the prophecies even regarding the birth of Jesus, all point to the idea that one day he's going to suffer and he's going to die and he's going to rise again. A couple of them real quick. I want to give a a, a brief uh, skim through the Old Testament, look at some different scripture where it talks about the prophecy that's coming to show that everything that's in scripture is pointing to this moment we're going to talk about in just a second. So first over in Zechariah chapter 12. It's talking, actually, earlier in Zechariah 12, it's the Lord talking, it's Jehovah talking, and it says this. So that when they look on me, being Jesus, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps for a firstborn. In the Old Testament, we see the prophecy regarding the the, the death of Jesus, that that they're going to... when they look on him, the one whom they pierce, the, the, the piercing of the nails of Jesus. In Zechariah 12, we see that. Over in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, it says this. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheek to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. We see the prophecies regarding the death of Jesus. He says, my back is going to be struck. My cheeks, the, the, my beard is going to be plucked out of my cheeks, and they're going to spit on my face. And all of these things in the Old Testament, pointing prophecy-wise, pointing to the coming of Jesus and ultimately his death and his resurrection. Isaiah 53, 
if you look at Isaiah, all of 53, all of chapter 53, it deals with the death of Jesus. But it says this. I want to look at two verses. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Over and over, we can look throughout the Old Testament. We can see scripture after scripture pointing to this event. Pointing the idea that it was necessary for Jesus to live and to grow up just like we grow up. And that ultimately he was going to die a very cruel death. And we see in the scripture that's been laid out some of the, the, the beatings and the abuse that he took at the hands of, of the Roman officials. Because he cared about us and because he loved us. And we know if we, if we finish up that story, he, he dies this, this cruel death. But then we read over Matthew chapter 28, which is page 1888 in my Bible. In Matthew 28, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are coming, and there's this giant earthquake, and, and there's someone that appears. And it says in verse 5, that person, with the, the, it was an angel that, that appears, and says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus who is crucified. He is not here For he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Now I want us to get this because it's easy. If if you've been at church on Easter Sunday morning, you've heard a message similar to this. You've heard probably even the scripture read. And it's easy for us just to kind of take that for granted. We've heard that before. But I want us, if we could, for just a minute, put us in the shoes of the early disciples of Jesus, the early followers of Jesus. See, you and I, just you and I, out of everybody in this room, you and I have been called to be one of his followers. And we, and we rewind 2,000 years. And we're called to be his followers. And, and, and here's the deal. We've seen a lot of people that are powerful teachers. But he teaches with an authority that we've never seen before. There's something different about him. In fact, we're not really outwardly religious. Most religious teachers don't really care about people like you and me. But this guy was different. He came and he talked to us and he engaged with us and he taught with an authority we had never seen before. And he teaches and and he starts performing miracles and we see him do things like heal people that are sick and, and restore sight to the blind. We see him even raise people from the dead and we say there's something different about this guy. He teaches with authority. He performs miracles with authority. And he reaches out to people like you and I who are not outwardly religious. And in fact, it seems like those are the people he's going after most vocally and most passionately. And so because of that, we start to watch him for a little bit. We start to watch at first with kind of a passing interest. But the more we observe his life, the more we start to believe maybe this guy is legit. And eventually we're invited to follow and we start to follow and we, we see all these things that are happening. We see the power and we see the authority. And for three years we see him performing miracles and teaching with that authority. And we say, this guy is different I want to put my faith in him. I want to follow him. And for three years, we see that. But towards the end of the three years, the crowds at one time seemed to be surrounding him are now starting to scream out at him. And more and more, there's, there's this, this uprising against him by the religious elite and by the Roman authorities. And we know that they're looking to arrest him, and at times they've even tried to kill him. And he keeps escaping, but the one day he doesn't. And there's mock justice that happens, and he's... he's brought to to account according to their rules and their customs. 
and he's sentenced to face this cruel death. We wonder, is he going to escape again? But he doesn't. We see him mocked and beat. We see his beard plucked out. We see him uh, spit on. And ultimately, we see him hung up on a cross where he dies. Now, if that's you and me, we don't have 2,000 years of context. We say, man, for three years, I've put my faith in, in this guy, and I thought this guy was the one. And yet now, as I see him die, I'm starting to have some questions. I'm starting to really wonder, like, what just happened? These three years have been a blur. Everything's kind of going crazy. And so after his death, we kind of gather together, and we're all reeling from what has happened. We're all reeling, saying, I don't even know, like, everything that happened over the last three years has all been so fast. It's taken me a while to process this, and now his death has happened. How does all of this fit together? And we struggle. For a couple of days, we struggle. We gather together at times, and we pray, and we try to seek God in all of this, but we're struggling with it. And then slowly after a couple of days, we start to hear some murmurs. We wonder what it's all about, and eventually the murmurs reach our ears. And, and at first it seems too good to be true, but people are talking about that Jesus is alive. And we want to believe it, and soon those murmurs start to grow and it starts to build. And finally we hear, and we see evidence, that what Matthew 28 talks about, that he is not here, that he is alive, that it's true. Now if that's you and I, if, if, if we're in that situation of being an early follower of Jesus, we put our faith in him, and we're lost, and we have three days, we're really struggling with this whole idea, and then we find out he's alive, that message for us is going to be overwhelming. That message for us is, is going to confirm everything we've believed for the last couple of years. See, I knew he wasn't going to stay dead. I knew it. I, I was afraid to speak the words, but I knew it because I put my faith in him. And once I heard that, that message for us is overwhelming if we're that early follower of Jesus. But we're not. We live 2,000 years later. We don't have that privilege of being able to see him alive in the flesh. And yet I'm here to tell you today, for every one of us, he is just as much alive. And if we choose to embrace this message, the message for us 2,000 years later can be just as overwhelming, can, can be just as overwhelming in our life if we would allow it to be. No, no, we look at this and say, maybe you're, you're outside, you don't really go to church, and you're saying, well, I'm not even sure I believe all of this stuff. It sounds like a great story, but I'm not sure I believe all of this. And there are some people throughout history who try to come up with uh, some other theories behind what could have happened. Uh, there are a lot of people, if, if, if you look uh, throughout history, there are, outside of the Bible, there are people, historians, that talk about an actual person who lived named Jesus. There's actually a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus that, that writes about Jesus on a couple of different occasions. And, and one of those occasions, he actually points to the fact that the disciples believed that he was alive. So Josephus, a, a Jewish historian who wasn't a follower of Jesus, says, I'm going to at least provide evidence. He was a contemporary of Jesus. I'm going to provide outside of the Bible evidence that points to the fact that Jesus was, was a real person, he was alive, and that at least his disciples believe after he was dead that he, he, wrote, that he rose again. In addition, if you know anything about the disciples, especially as Jesus is about to be arrested, the disciples don't exactly get that whole scene right. Uh, they make a lot of mistakes. Obviously, Judas is the one who betrays him. Uh, even after the fact, uh, during the crucifixion, Peter denies him. And after the fact, Thomas doubts that he's alive. 
the disciples weren't exactly the passions of courage. They weren't exactly the ones that were getting it right. And yet after seeing Jesus alive in the flesh, after his death, seeing him alive again, each one of them goes and they start to spread the message of his resurrection. And here's how powerful it is. Those disciples, which weren't exactly the picture of courage during the death scene of Jesus, every one of them outside of one, history tells us, this is not recorded in scripture, but history tells us that every one of them eventually dies because of their faith. Outside of one, everyone dies because of their faith. Some people say, well, Jesus didn't really, you know, there's some people out there have theories. People say either Jesus didn't really die. The Romans were experts at, at crucifixion, like they knew, and on top of that, Jesus was in a sealed tomb for three days. He was dead. There are others who come and say, well, maybe the disciples came and, and stole his body after the fact. It seemed like a good idea. You want to keep him alive, and so let's keep the message alive at least, and let's have his body just disappear. But here's the deal. Every one of those disciples eventually dies for the story that they were telling. One of them, they all die a kind of cruel death, but one of them, a guy by the name of Bartholomew, actually dies. History tells us, most historians agree, he was actually skinned alive. That's a pretty cruel death. And I think if, if, if it were me and I was holding on to a story that wasn't true, at some point if someone starts to skin me, I'm like, hold on a second. It was all a joke, April Fool's. Like, we got, like if, if that was me and I'm about to be skinned alive and there were others that were dragged by horses and, and, and for every one of the disciples that died their death, not one of them ever denied the story that Jesus is alive. And so we look at history, we look at the, even the stories of the disciples, and we say there's enough evidence that's out there. And, and, and there's more than that, but there's enough evidence out there that points to this event as being historically true and accurate. And if that is true, then the message for us today is just as overwhelming. The message for you and I today, the hope that comes in Jesus is just as overwhelming. So as much as I want to like those other things, it's okay to, be, to be, have some sort of passion about those other things. The thing in my life that I most want to overpower my thoughts and my emotions and my senses is a message that he is alive. Because at that point, I'm looking at the one who said he was going to die and rise again, and he does it. And I say, that's the one that I want to follow. If you have your Bibles, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to look at some more scripture this morning before we wrap this up. 1 Corinthians 15 is, is this great passage uh, talking about just, just the, the death of Jesus and the resurrection uh, that, that he goes through. And I love this because Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And as he's writing to the church at Corinth, uh, he actually is prior to this. We don't have time to read all this scripture, obviously, this morning, all 1 Corinthians 15. There are a lot of verses here. But he said a little bit prior to what we're about to read in verse 20. He had said that if the resurrection isn't true, then we're of all people most to be pitied. He said the resurrection isn't true. There's a lot of things that our, our faith isn't justified. There's no forgiveness of sin. The message that we preach isn't authentic. And we're not doing God a, we're doing God a disservice if, we, if the resurrection isn't true. But then he says in verse 20, and I love this. He just said, if any of this stuff isn't true, then here's the things that, that are, that are going to be false about how we're living our lives. But he says in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He had just laid out this great argument, saying if, if, if this isn't true, then, then here's all the things that would be going wrong. But he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He says, here's the fact 
People can speculate all, the, all they want, but here's the fact. Christ is raised from the dead, and because of that, we get together to celebrate. Because of that idea, because of the fact Jesus has been raised from the dead, we now, who are living, have life inside of us if we choose to follow him. And then we're going to skip over to, to verse 55, uh, 53. And it's talking about what happens to us. And he says, For this perishable, perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God, that is where we achieve victory. So when we talk about what are we going to be overwhelmed by, and i got to come up out of my jacket for a second, because we want to be overwhelmed by this. We want to be overwhelmed by this message, and this is the most important thing that ever happened. And Paul's writing to the church saying, Church, thanks be to God, because through Jesus we now have victory. Because of what he's done, we now have victory. And if I'm going to choose to be overwhelmed by anybody in my life, I'm going to choose to be overwhelmed by the one who has raised people from the dead and who has been raised himself. And if I'm going to be overwhelmed by anybody in my life, I want to be overwhelmed by the one who has overcome death. The cruel death that he faced, he's overcome death. And in my life, he's overcome death myself. And so what does it mean to be overwhelmed? It's not just saying, well, I want to go to church and I want to be a good person. See, my fear, and I just want to be honest with you for a second, church. My fear is we can make it very easy. We can make it very simple. Come to church, fill out a car, do these things. And then we go about, go about our life and kind of live our lives kind of in our own way for the rest of the week. We come back on Sunday, we do this thing all over again. But God's calling us to be overwhelmed. God's calling us for our, our thoughts, our emotions, and our senses to be captive to the one who is overwhelming. So my question this morning is this. Have you ever been overwhelmed, truly overwhelmed by Jesus? Not just a simple, well, I'm going to follow and do some things, but I'm saying, man, in my life, my passion, my heart beat is that Jesus is alive, and I want to make that known in my life, and as I leave here, I want to make it known to the people that I come in contact with. Listen, it was great we went to church. We, we raised money to build a home. We're going to go to Honduras. We're going to build that home. That's powerful. But I got something way more powerful than that. Jesus is alive, and Jesus is alive in my life. Like those two things have to come together. And the moment I realize that he really is alive, that becomes the overwhelming message of my life. Not my hobbies, not my interests, not my sports teams. None of those things compare to this message. Jesus is alive. And that's what we're overwhelmed by. Earlier they asked you to fill out one of the connection cards. Hopefully you did that. Because we asked this question. Have you ever truly been overwhelmed by Jesus? And we're not going to give an altar call and have people respond. But, but I want to know, just between you and me, and if that's you, if you're saying, I, I don't know, in my life I've never really been overwhelmed. Like, I, I like Jesus, I'm kind of a fan of his. But I've never been overwhelmed by him. We want to invite you to be able to do that this morning. 
Say, God, I want to I call on Jesus because I know that when he died on the cross, he was doing that for my sins because my sins separated me from God. But that he defeated death, he defeated the grave. And I want to have that same hope in my life so I can cry out with Paul, but thanks be to God who gives me the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be able to respond with him to say, my life has been overwhelmed by Jesus, and from this moment on, I will never be the same. And so if you've never been overwhelmed in your life, you say, I don't really know if I ever made that decision to follow him. I want you to do something. Just at some point as we conclude the service, the band's going to come up and sing another song. Just take that connection card and just fill it out. Let us know that. I want to be able to pray for you and contact you. And so if you made that decision this morning, write that on your connection card. On the back, it has a spot where you can mark that. And let us know that. And we take up that final offering this morning. If you would, just turn it in with an offering bucket or give it one of our guest services people in the back at the end of the service. We'd appreciate it. Because our goal as we journey together is, is, is to say, I want to be overwhelmed. I want God to overwhelm, to overcome my, my thoughts, my emotions, my senses. I want everything captive to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we celebrate as, as Good Friday. God, we thank you that Jesus would, would come here to earth and be falsely accused and, and yet willingly go and give his life. That we who are perishable can put on imperishable. That we who are corrupt can put on incorruption. And that he took our place and took our sins through his death. But God, even more than that, we thank you for Easter Sunday morning. Where he defeated, he defeated the grave, he defeated death. Not just for himself, but for every one of us who call upon him. And so God, as, as we get ready to leave here in just a few short minutes, our prayer is that our lives would be overwhelmed by him. That that moment, that that event would be the biggest thing that ever happens to us. For God, that is the very thing that we most need to celebrate. Not just on Easter, but literally every day of our life. We thank you for grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray.